This morning's scripture is from 1 Samuel, chapter 10, and Sam will be preaching on verses 1 to 17. Starting in verse 1 of Samuel, chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelza, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men are going up to God at Bethel, will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After this, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and, I, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave, to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Samuel's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Saul had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, I just come before you now and ask that uh, your spirit would enlighten our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, to see your character, to see how you work, to see how you are the King of Kings. Lord, I pray that uh, this word would not just be interesting to us, but that it would change us. For that's your will, that your word changes your people. So Lord, I pray that would be the case for us this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this weekend, I had the privilege of watching... Uh, the movie Cinderella with my daughters. It's probably not too big a surprise. Most of the movies I watch are about princesses and and uh, things of that sort. And as I was watching the movie, and I kind of had these this text in my mind, uh, for those of you who know the story of Cinderella, she 
is uh, with her stepmother and her stepsisters and just living this life of drudgery, trying to be kind, trying to have a servant's heart and have courage and be kind. And she runs into this prince. She doesn't know uh, he's a prince at first, but she gets to uh, finally go to this ball where all the maidens are invited. And this video or this movie was shot in England. And you just have these amazing castles and this view of these kingdoms and all the pomp and circumstance that comes with a king and with a prince. And I just found myself being amazed and just uh, wowed by what would it be like to be at a place where there is a king and there's a queen or there's a prince and a princess and you have this castle and that there's so much power it seems in this kingdom and so much beauty. And I found myself really being drawn into that. And at the same time, here the prince is talking to the king who is dying. And I just had kind of two feelings. So look how powerful this kingdom seems. Look how beautiful and amazing this is. But the king is kind of weak. He's dying. And it's going to be passed on to the prince. And the prince doesn't seem real secure in himself. He wants true love. And so, I was thinking, our hearts are drawn to kingdom and are amazed by the king. I mean, little girls don't grow up and say, oh, I want to be a first lady. They just don't. They're drawn to, they want to be a princess. And it was no different way back in Samuel's day and in Saul's day when Israel wanted a king like the nations. They wanted to have what these other nations have that seems so powerful and, and uh, so effective. And if you remember, and it's been a while since we've been in 1 Samuel, if you remember back in chapter 8, They see Samuel's getting old. They see his sons are not like Samuel. They're not faithful like Samuel. And so they ask for a king like the nations. But here's what it says in 1 Samuel 8.19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. So after Samuel says, your king is not going to treat you well. It says the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And then the Lord said to Samuel, He says, don't be upset by this. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as being king over them. And so you have the setting for God giving the people what they asked for. A king like the nations. And then in chapter 9, we saw how these circumstances come about. And what's amazing, what I want to, as I'm looking at this, I'm like, what, what do you have for us in this text? There, there's two main questions I'm asking. How can fallen people at Sovereign Grace relate with fallen people thousands of years ago? And what can we learn about God in these texts? And the theme, I went all the way back to chapter 1. 
And the theme seems to revolve around the God who speaks His Word. You see, the people rejected what Samuel said to them. Who's Samuel? Samuel's the prophet of God. Speaking on God's behalf, And they've rejected him. And so this is what I, as we read this story, I, I just want your eyes to see the king who's setting up the little king. The king who speaks words and rules with his word and those who rebel against his word. I mean, it, you remember way back in chapter three, what do we find right away in verse 1? And the Word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. There was no prophet in Israel. And then you get to the end of chapter 3, and we read this, And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord had revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the Word of the Lord. So at the end of chapter 3, your prophet is in place. Chapter 4 begins, and the Word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And then what does Israel do? The Philistines are coming, and by their own strength, they don't go get wisdom from the prophet. They go do their own thing. They reject God's Word. Well, they were doing the same thing when God said, they've rejected Me as King. And when they reject your words, they're rejecting Me. And then last week, so how does this come about? Or not last week. A month ago, how do we get to the point where we're at in, in chapter 10? Well, you have Saul, the son of Kish, a handsome man, young man. He's on a farm and the donkeys are lost. And his father says, grab, this, grab a servant and go look for the donkeys. And if you remember, they looked all over, couldn't find the donkeys. And Saul said, my dad's going to be worried and more worried about us than the donkeys. we got to go back. And then the servant said, well, I heard there's a prophet, a seer, near Ramah. And we could go to him and find out, ask, where are these donkeys? And Saul said, well, what are we going to give the prophet. You gotta give him something if he's gonna give us information. And lo and behold, the servant has money to give Samuel. And if you remember, the Lord appeared to Samuel the day before and said, Tomorrow you're gonna meet Saul, and he's the one who's gonna save my people from their enemies. And it's key because God says, my people. He doesn't say, He's the one who's going to save His people from His enemies. You see, there's the king over the chosen king. And the people are the people of the king. Capital K. And so, Samuel meets Saul, invites him to this meal where he gets to sit at the special place with 30 important people there. He gets to sit at the head of the table and he gets the priest's portion of the food. And everyone would be wondering, who is this young handsome man with Samuel? Why the special treatment with him? And then you remember that Samuel invites Saul back home. says, you can sleep in my place. I've prepared a place for you on the roof. And so he sleeps there. 
And then in the morning, he gets them up in the morning. He says, you need to be on your way. And then right before they leave, what does it say right at the end of in, in verse 27 of 1 Samuel 9? As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the Word of God. So the prophet is telling the soon-to-be king, I will make known to you the Word of God. And then in, right away in verse 1 of First Samuel 10, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over His people Israel? His people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord and you'll save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over His heritage. So here's what's going on. The prophet tells Saul, you're the one whom the Lord has chosen to protect the heritage of the Lord and to protect them from their enemies. You're the one that's chosen. The anointing of oil and the kiss is representative of this. But God validates His Word with signs, doesn't He? Because then Samuel predicts four things that are going to happen on his way home. He says there's going to be a message that come from two men. These two men will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father is worried about you. So when you go, Saul, and you begin to wonder, will the Word of the Lord come true? This is going to happen. And then he says, three men will come and give you their food. Three men will offer Saul two loaves of bread. You know, it's not like a general prophecy. It's detailed that three men, they'll be carrying this food and they're going to give you two loaves of bread. And then he says, after that, there will be some prophets coming and there will be in front of them, there will be those with tambourines and the lyre and the harp. They'll be playing music and behind them, the prophets will be prophesying. And not only that, but when that happens, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them. And then in verse 7 it says, when these things meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So when this happens and the Spirit of God comes upon you, He's saying, the Lord is with you. You'll be able to do what comes before you. I don't think he means there that do whatever your hand finds you to do. Do whatever you want. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, then you'll be capable to do what God has for you. Unlike... Nathan said to David something similar. He said to David, do all that is in your heart for God is with you in 1 Chronicles 17.2. And I think that's a little different. He's not telling Saul, do whatever's in your heart because we find out as we re read on, although the Spirit of God is with him and has made him capable to do the Lord's work with his people, there isn't a true conversion. And then notice in verse 8, then he says, 
Then you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. So he says the Spirit of God's coming upon you, but you need to wait for the prophet to come and tell you what to do. You need to wait seven days. And there's big debate whether it was seven days from this moment because in chapter 11, they're at Gilgal when they make him officially king in front of the people. And then in chapter 13, it says that Saul waited seven days and Samuel didn't show up, so he made his own offering and it was a wicked thing and God said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. So they're in Gilgal two times after this. Some think it's referring to those things, but I don't think it can. Because in chapter 13, it says Jonathan leads an army of a thousand. Well, Saul's a young man at this point. He doesn't even have Jonathan yet. So I think it's most likely he's saying seven days from now, I'll meet you and I'll tell you what to do next. But the key here is seeing that when God is calling a king and giving him his spirit and power, He's telling him to listen to the prophets still. To the Word of God. To the real King. And then, sure enough, all these things come at the end of uh, of verse 9. It says, all these signs came to pass that day. And then the last sign is the one that verses 10-12 through gives us that when these prophets came prophesying, Saul himself began prophesying with them. Look at verse 11. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So, All sorts of debate. What sort of prophesying was this? Was it them singing songs to the Lord because there's music, a procession of music with prophesying behind them? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what kind of prophecy this was. Was it saying true things in song? Was it being led by the Spirit where new things were being revealed by God. You can look at all that debate and nobody knows what it was. But here's what we know. The people who knew Saul said, look at this change. Has he become a prophet? That's the main point we need to get out of this. And then a man of the place answered, and who is their father? I think this is what that means. It seems a little cryptic and obscure. But I think the people are saying, has even Saul become a prophet? The one who we would have never expected to be prophesying like this? And then someone says, well, who is their father? He doesn't say his father. He's talking about the prophets. I think the man's saying, how do you get a prophet? Are you born a prophet? No. God is the father of prophets. Even Saul could be a prophet if God is their father. And then verses 13 through 16, Saul returns. And his uncle asks him where he's been. He says, I've been looking for donkeys, and he doesn't tell him about the kingdom. And so this is the events that are unfolding in Israel. And I want to point out 
two main points. I want to bring out two truths that seem to stand out to me about us and about the character of God. And I want to challenge you from the outset to live your life knowing it is always necessary to listen to and obey the Lord. If there's one thing we can learn through First and Second Samuel, listen to the Word of the Lord. It doesn't go well when you go your own way. Even when the prophet's not showing up and the enemy's coming, listen to the Lord. In point one, live your life according to the King's Word. Why do I draw out this point? First of all, God's prophetic Word calls and validates the King. Saul. It stands out to me. The people said, give, you know, we want a king like the nations. I assume they would go find one. But God goes and God is control of even giving them the king they want. He hasn't quit being king over Israel. No. He is very much organizing every detail so that Saul becomes king. And his word validates that kingship, doesn't it? Because when he prophesied the four things that will happen that day, it is by his word this new monarchy in Israel is established. And then, notice that it is according to God's Word that the Spirit is given to the king. It was prophesied, Saul, here's what's going to happen. You're not all of a sudden going to get all the skills to be king of Israel. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you. Now, I don't think when we read that he was turned into another man, look at verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. I don't think this is a spiritual conversion in the sense of Saul being saved. Why is that? Because just... Not very long later in chapter 16, verse 14, we read that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful Spirit of the Lord tormented him. And then in, in uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 10, we read that a harmful Spirit of God rushed upon Saul and then he tried to spear David. And then in verse 12 there, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So I think what is pointing out, he became a new man and that God was with him. The Spirit of God was with Saul. But it is according to God's Word that the Spirit is given. And then right away in verse 8, what does he say? He says, you need to come and get your direction from me. Here's the point I want to point out. You can't separate the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit from the Word of God. You can't separate the two. They live together. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit works in us according to the Word of God. And then notice also that in light of the Spirit anointing the king, our, our God through His Word, through His prophet, anoints the king, gives him the Spirit. Therefore, the anointed Spirit-led king is subject to 
God's Word. You know, we might think that once the King of Israel is in place, He just has full power. Well, when does the kingdom go awry in Israel? When do the kings mess everything up? When they quit listening to the prophets. One commentator, Ralph Dale Davis, says this, Yahweh's Spirit gives power, but that power is to be exercised in obedience to Yahweh's Word. The Spirit and the Word must never be separated. What right do we think that we can enjoy the Lord's power and presence when we deny His Lordship by trampling on His Word? And then He says, look at Luke 6.46. This is where Jesus says, Why do you call Me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? There's all sorts of people that call Jesus Lord, but have zero care about what God's Word says. And Jesus says, why do you think you can call Me your King when you don't listen to Me? When you don't listen to My Word? You'd be no different than Israel who wants to reject God's Word to themselves. To accept the Lord is to accept His Word. And then this commentator goes on to say, one cannot help but think this union of Word and Spirit is a Word in season for the contemporary church. Many crave dramatic signs of the Spirit's power, but have little enthusiasm for the common obedience to the Lord's Word. How many people want to go to a conference and get all worked up with emotion, have some experience, maybe someone wants to speak in tongues, see a miracle, but then live a life that seems no, has no care for God's obedience to God's revealed Word in their daily life. You see, the power of the Spirit of God cannot be separated from obedience to the Lord who speaks. It makes me think of Matthew 7 when Jesus said, and this is a kingdom passage, not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven will enter. On that day, many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, and then look at what they'll say, did we not prophesy in Your name? Could Saul say that? I prophesied in Your name through Your Spirit and cast out many demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name. Paul can, I mean, Saul could point to, I defeated the Ammonites for you. I defeated the Philistines for you. I prophesied. And then what does he say? Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord, I went to church. I did this. I maybe even said the right things. But I never viewed you as Lord. I never took your word serious in my life. It's pretty much like take it or leave it. The parts that are convenient for my life, I take. The parts I don't like, I leave behind. But he says the ones who know me will live lives marked by trying to live according to the will of God. And I was just amazed as I did a word search, you know, trying to see how king and word, you know, God's word were side by side. And there was tons of uh, verses I could show you. Psalm 138.4. I'm just going to show you a couple here. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks. Now think of this. All the kings. You know, Cinderella is going into this kingdom. It's a little kingdom. There's tons of kings. 
All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, O Lord. Why? For they have heard the words of your mouth. And then Psalm 33. If you have your Bibles, turn here with me. Psalm 33, verse 8. Psalm 33, verse 8. The psalmist says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why? Why ought all the earth to stand in awe of the Lord? Verse 9, For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. All the plans of the kings, imagine this, all the counsel of the nations, the most brilliant kings, the most brilliant presidents, the most brilliant people of the earth, that counsel will be like nothing compared to the Lord who speaks and it stands. What does it say of the Lord's counsel? The Lord's counsel stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. What the Lord says comes to pass. And then look at verse 16. The king, little k, is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by it, and by its great might, or might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope. What kings are strong? Not the ones who come up with the best battle plans and become the most pragmatic like Saul ends up being. But it's the one who doesn't hope in the war horse, doesn't hope in his great army, but the one who hopes in the Lord. When Goliath is standing on the other side of the mountain and Saul, the biggest man in Israel. No one is taller than him. And that giant keeps mocking Israel. And Saul stays put. And then little tiny David comes along. He can't even fit in Saul's armor because Saul is so big. Well, what's the difference? One man hopes in the Lord and the other man is looking at how big the giant is. Isn't this a pathetic moment in Saul's <laughs> kingship? Yeah, let me take this armor off and put it on this little guy. We'll see if he gets destroyed. You know. It's just like, what a, what a pathetic king. But the reason why the earth ought to tremble and stand in awe is because the Lord speaks and it comes to pass. If this is true, how ought we to live? If we know that God is the King over all kings, what effect should this have on our life? How many Christians tremble over the future of America as they're looking at election polls? As if that's where your hope lies. It doesn't lie there. You think God's Word isn't going to come true? His promises aren't going to stand strong for His people? Presidents, dictators, and kings are all under the Lord. And the Lord's counsel will stand. 
you don't believe me, I don't have time to read it all. Read Psalm 2. I'll read the beginning because it's such a good taunt. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying... So they get together, they have a council, and the whole world is saying something. They have words. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This God who has cords on us, let us burst them. And He who sits in the heavens, He doesn't even have to stand for battle. They set themselves against the king. They're ready. They've taken counsel. And the king who sits in heaven laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them with His fury saying, as for Me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, which is obviously a prophecy to Jesus Christ set on a hill in Jerusalem. And then the end of this passage, you know how it ends, kiss the son lest he be angry with you. The Lord is the King of kings. He's put His King on His throne. What does... So if we know that God gives the Spirit to all Christians, think about this. The same Holy Spirit, except this time for Christians, the Spirit doesn't depart from us. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit would come upon a, a chosen servant of God to help them. What does David say after he sinned? Don't take your Spirit from me like you took it from Saul. But in the New Covenant, the Spirit is put into believers and they believe to the death. They believe and the Spirit stays with them. But here's my question. If we remember that we have the Holy Spirit, what effect should that have on our lives in regards to the Word? The Spirit works according to the Word. How often we're just satisfied with knowing we have the Spirit of God and we don't go to His Word. That's how the Spirit is going to work in our lives. So all the Christians out there who say, I believe in Christ, I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm not concerned about His Word. It's crazy. It's just as crazy as Saul having the power of the Spirit in his life and not listening to the prophet. Listening to the Word of God, recognizing that God's Word is life. You realize that? That's how you are created. That's how you are saved. The Word became flesh. It's the, by the power of the Gospel. I mean, this is what Paul says, right? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm going to keep preaching the Word, Paul says, in that is life, so that dead souls can live. It's the start of a new year. There's Bible reading plans, I believe, on the back table. If you haven't been in the Word, remember, it's the only thing that stands. The Holy Spirit's job leads us according to His Word. I just challenge you, it's a good time to get into the Word. 
Secondly, point two in your notes, live your life resting in the hands of God who is sovereign over what you do not understand. See, there's irony in chapters 9 and 10. Because if you start at the beginning of chapter 9 and you go through this passage we have today, the Hebrew word masa is in this text 12 different times. It means to find. Everything from um, finding livestock, people, money, so you can go to the prophet to find Samuel. They found a kingdom. In all this finding, how do our verses end? His uncle says, where were you? Well, I was looking for donkeys and Samuel told me about the donkeys. There's two people that know what's going on in Israel. Samuel and Saul. And there's all sorts of working going on. Yes, to give the people what they want, to show them it's going to leave them empty. But even in doing that, Yahweh is protecting His people. And nobody knows what's going on but two people. All this finding, and it's one big secret at this point. And you and I can easily feel like I have no idea, God, what You're doing in my life. Or why is this happening? But you can rest assured that God is sovereign and He's working for the good of those who love Him all the time, whether we understand it and we know what is going on. Is that not a comfort? You see, to have to understand when we can't always understand is not peace. But resting in the hands of the King of Kings is peace. And so I ask the question, how does remembering that God is working even for you when you don't understand affect your life? That's something to think through when you leave here today. Who make, what makes you think you'll be able to see what God is all doing in good times and bad times? Because right away in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, it said the Lord caused Hannah to be barren. Difficult thing in her life, but it said the Lord had caused it. And little did we know that from Hannah was going to come the prophet that would speak the Word of God that would set up the monarchy that would one day lead to Christ the King. This is how the Lord works. And so I want to leave you with this. Live your life finding your assurance in the provident provisions of, of the King and not in your mighty works. At the end of the day, Israel is going to get their King. And their King is going to be put in difficult situations. And the King that has success in these two books is David who doesn't put his hope in his own scheming, even though he does scheme sometimes, and then he repents. See, even in David's sin, what's the difference between Saul and David? It's not that one didn't sin and the other did. It's that when the one sinned, he had hope in a merciful God. That's the difference. The difference is his hope was in a king way beyond himself. In 
understanding way beyond what he could understand. And so it's my prayer, if you came here today and you looked at these verses and were wondering, what, you know, what practical effect can this have on my life? I want, I want you to leave here with this. If the king who is given the Spirit of God needed to listen to the Word of God, how much more do we need to put all of our hope in the Lord who speaks His truth to us? And the main truth He speaks is that we cannot save ourselves. That we need a Savior and that He sent that Savior in the person of Christ. Way back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke a word to Satan. He said or, that from the uh, womb of the woman, from the seed of the woman, the serpent's head will be crushed. We have a word right from the beginning that there's going to be one who comes who reverses the curse, who brings about salvation so that we may be saved. And that Word was speaking of Christ. Father, I pray that this morning we would have seen that You are our only hope. That we must live our lives as Jesus said. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our very life comes from Your Word. The church was birthed out from the Word of the Gospel. From Christ Himself. Lord, I pray that we would not be so proud that we consider that we might be more wise than Your revealed Word to us. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.